0: Good evening. I can't see you, but I trust you're there. Hebrews thirteen verses ten through sixteen. Hebrews thirteen, ten to sixteen. <clears throat> Standing outside. And um, all of us like to be accepted, included, and befriended but there are those situations in which we stand outside. And the the writer of Hebrews addresses this this evening concerning an altar, A-L-T-A-R. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the camp. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with uh, such sacrifices God is pleased. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can enter into your presence this evening through the blood of the sacrifice that was made outside the city. And Father, we can enter in right into your presence and we can call you Father and you know us as your children. And Father, we come into your presence tonight to present ourselves as living sacrifices to be holy and acceptable to you, to be used for your glory. Live in us. Fulfill your purpose in us. Make us a blessing to others, first of all, our brothers and sisters in Christian fellowship, and then to those outside of the fellowship of the saints, that they too may enter in and belong to you. Thank you, Lord, for this time together this evening, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The writer here... In verse 10 says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. The altar in the tabernacle was to be approached only by the Levitical priesthood. And if you read through the Pentateuch, you will find that their provision and their sustenance came from that altar and the sacrifices that were made there, and they uniquely had the privilege of eating from that altar. No one else had that privilege or that opportunity. But we have an altar which those who serve in the tabernacle, the Levitical priesthood, has no right to eat. It is not... Determined by genealogy, it is not t- determined by ancestry, but it's determined by our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we need not go into the tabernacle to an altar to eat, but we have a preferred altar from which we may enter in and eat. The, um, our, our altar is depicted so... Um, beautifully by our Lord Jesus in John chapter 6. And you can turn to it if you wish, or I can just read it. It's a very familiar passage where Jesus says, I am the bread of life in John 6, 48. And he begins to speak of his body and his blood. And he begins to speak exclusively that if anyone is to enter in They will need to consume his body and his blood. And we have this altar that none other can enter and eat. In John 6 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He says, I am the living bread. That came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread. He will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat. So Jesus said to them. Truly truly I say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And then he goes on and he says, I live because of the Father, so he who eats of me, he, al- he will also live because of me. Very clear, unmistakable. Even the Jews were confused by it. The Israelites ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. And the Levitical priests had the privilege of eating at the altar of the tabernacle, but they died generation after generation. But we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat because the right comes through faith in Jesus Christ. They can enter in, but until they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they cannot partake of our altar. And so Jesus speaks of the Lord's Supper, the internalizing, the consuming of Jesus Christ, that internal transformation, not like in the old covenant where an animal was slain and the blood was dabbed, On the surface, but we are transformed from the inside out through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the sacrifice which He made in His body for us. And so we have an altar from which we can eat. Now the thing here is, is that we have to choose which altar. You can't have it both ways. And that's the problem that these Jewish believers were having because they wanted to go to the temple and partake in that altar and they wanted to go to the Christian fellowship and partake in that altar and they wanted to be both. But you can't have both. And so we have an altar in Christ which is fully sufficient. There is no need of another. In verse 11 he says, he he begins to form a visual from the Old Testament law from Leviticus 9, 8 to 11. He says, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. And over and over in the um, Mosaic law, it's pointed out in, in Leviticus 9, 8 to 11. Just, I'll just read it. So Aaron came near to the altar and slaughtered the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Aaron's sons presented the blood for him. And he dipped his finger in the blood and put some on the horns of the altar and poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. The fat and the kidneys and the lobe of the liver uh, of the sin offering, he then offered up in smoke on the altar just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin, however, he burned with fire outside the camp. Why? Because it was considered trash, refuse to be discarded. And The writer of Hebrews is saying that we need to go outside the camp. Now, what he's saying here is that socially and in this world, we need to be I- uh, able to identify with those who are outside. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in this world, Christians are continually ostracized, and especially in the times in which we live. And so the blood was used to sanctify the altar, the fat was burned on the altar, and the flesh was burned outside the camp as refuse. We identify with that which is viewed by the world as rejected, useless, and unclean. And unless we understand what's going on, we're going to have kind of an identity crisis because we're going to wonder why we are Uh, demeaned and rejected in situations, and we're going to wonder why it is the Christians are the ones who are hardly ever consulted in the decisions of the nations. And we identify with that which is viewed as rejected and useless and unclean. The writer goes on in verse 12 and points to Jesus having talked about the the body of the sacrifice being burned outside the camp, and he says, look at Jesus. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered outside the gate. We know the story, he bore his cross outside the city, the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. And he went outside. That was a act of insult to Jesus intentional and in his humility and brokenness he went outside the city accepting the rejection of the Jewish people of the Romans and brutally crucified that he might sanctify the people notice It would not have been done inside at the altar of the temple, but outside. He went outside the city. His own blood, and he suffered outside the gate. And so we go outside to Jesus. And what does that mean? Jesus made an effective sacrifice not inside Jerusalem, but outside. Many times we feel, and as I'm going to point out in a few minutes, we're so disenfranchised from this world, and, and I don't know of one thing in the news that is going the way that <laughs> I would call progress. I don't know of one thing that's happening in our government that I can say, God is really working And we need to understand that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we can go outside to him and have a profound impact on this world. It's not that we're abandoning this world. We are going to the position of true effect and influence. Now, you may consider me naive, but this evening we're going to be praying And I personally believe, and I'm convicted of this, and I've seen it, that there is going to be more accomplished this evening in this room through prayer than has been accomplished all week at the White House and Capitol Hill. Outside the camp. With Jesus Christ. The altar in the temple was ineffective, temporary, and speculative. It had designed obsolescence only for a period of time. And this is borne out in Hebrews. If you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. The writer of Hebrews has repeated this over and over, and we just kind of get a uh, to give you a little view of what he's already said. In Hebrews 7, 26, he says, "...for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest." holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. He went out and finalized the whole process. As a kid, I grew up in Ohio, and when it uh, comes to be about August, I forget the... Escadatas or whatever they are we called them locusts these big bugs that made a weird sound what are they sticadas sticados. anyway they make this weird sound and then we would find their shell and here's a perfect bug but it's just the exoskeleton of of the of the bug that's the tabernacle an empty shell It's purpose being fulfilled at the cross of Jesus Christ outside the city. In chapter 9, verses 11 to 14, the writer of Hebrews pointed out, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Not an annual redemption, but an eternal redemption. Not in a temple made with hands. Outside the city, he accomplished the salvation of mankind, which was effective in the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. The point is, that standing outside, we can have more impact than being an insider in the power structure of the world because we have full access to the throne of grace. In 10, 1 through 4, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. And jumping to verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible. Jesus has accomplished it. And so we go outside to Jesus. And we stand outside with him. He was outside of the religious structure of his day, and yet he fulfilled it. He was outside the power structures of the Roman Empire and yet he conquered it. We go outside to Jesus, outside of feudal religious activity, outside of religious formality, outside of the world's elite, the insiders of this world, and we stand with Jesus in complete humility, embracing that humility and that smallness. The Apostle Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 1. and He says, The Jews ask for signs, and Greeks seek for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then he begins to describe the Christian fellowship of the day. And he says, consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. I just want to ask you a question this, this evening. Can you identify with this? There are not many wise according to the flesh. How many people here have PhDs from major universities? We're not wise according to this world. Lofty intellectual accomplishments. Not many are mighty. Not many are noble, of noble birth. God has chosen the foolish things of this world. I can identify with that the grandson of a coal miner and a carpenter, blessed by humility and smallness, and that the great God of the universes would include me in his kingdom and my smallness. In Hebrews 11, as the writer of Hebrews goes through the hall of faith and comes down to those who have suffered terribly for their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And he is actually speaking of the prophets. He comes down and he describes them as men of whom the world was not worthy. Men of whom the world was not worthy. The world saw them as the refuse to the off-scouring, the trash. God sees, that, sees you and me and those who have been faithful to him as those of whom this world is not worthy. In humility and serving Christ, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 describing the apostles, he, he writes, To this present hour, we're both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed and roughly treated and homeless. We toil, working with our hands. We're, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we try to conciliate. We become the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. The King James Version says, we've become the off-scouring, that which is scraped off, the garbage off the plate at the end of the meal, that which is not worthy to be consumed. You want to be an apostle? Sign up right there. Outside, viewed as nothing. Today, everything possible is being done to disenfranchise Christians from our society and from an influence in this world. Before uh, the service this evening, Tommy mentioned that England has outlawed teaching creationism as science. Outside. Godly morals values purposes are considered as intolerable by the tolerant Everybody is to be tolerant except Those who will not accept Christianity And our values and our standards The last thing wanted in this world's agenda is input from Christians. You know why? Because it's Satan's agenda And we're standing outside. Guess who wins? The Lord does. And so we go outside to him, the writer says in verse 13, so let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. That's a profound statement. And we can read it and it sounds kind of nicey and religious and everything, but when we look at what he's really saying... We deliberately go out to Christ outside the camp bearing the same insult that was poured upon Jesus Christ as he was made to bear his cross outside and cast out and rejected and considered as the offscouring of the human race. We deliberately go outside to him and we bear his reproach. We willingly bear his reproach. All of this to say three things. Number one, we are outside when we become Christians. Number two, we are to willingly go outside. And number three, we are to embrace being outside. In other words, we're not to be outside saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. We're to say, I'm outside, and this is where I'm going to function. This is where I want to be. And I know what to do, and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be faithful to the Lord and embrace him outside the camp. But we go outside to him, the place of reproach and scorn and mockery and sacrifice and we bear his reproach. What's the purpose of all of this? What do we expect to accomplish? What is it that we are conscripted to to do in this world? The writer points it out in verse 14. He says, here In this world, in this time, in this era, we do not have a lasting city. Jesus said to those who would follow him, he says, the foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We live in tents that are temporary abodes. I have news for you. Your house is going to be sold someday. If you're renting, you're going to move someday. All of our abodes are temporary. We're just camping out for a short stay. And so we don't have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come beyond this realm, beyond this world. And, and we, are, we are living in this world with the purpose of arriving in that reality. And the measure of the impact of our lives in this realm, in this period of time, is not by our material accumulations and the address that we might have and the automobile we might drive and the number of people that we might impress. But the measure of our effectiveness in this life is measured only against that reality and that accomplishment. And if things get tough at times in this life, so be it. The Lord will get us through it. For he is faithful. And one day our address is going to change to a heavenly address. Our city is outside this realm. Here we have no lasting city. We have anticipation of no utopia, no ideal political system, no perfect environment. We're looking to that which is to come. It is so awesome we can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like. But we live toward that. I want to take you through Um, as an example of a person standing outside, if you can begin turning to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. And um, I want to look at some things there with you. It is right after the book of Nehemiah in your Bible. And the book of Esther is about this beautiful young lady whom God exalted to be queen, um, wife of Xerxes, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. And in the background all the time, there is this man Mordecai who is always standing outside. And he always functioned from outside and yet God powerfully used this man. There would have been no Esther if it were not for Mordecai. And Mordecai was contented with being the unseen influence in everything. And what a marvelous example. I think, I remember when I was a young Christian, I was always looking toward getting up on a stage like this and having people see me. But it's not about that, it's about being the unseen influence that God is using. And God accomplishes His eternal purposes through. In chapter two, verses five and seven, and I'm not going to take time to read all of these verses, but we're told now uh, there was at the citadel of Susa a Jew, a Jew named whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And so he's raising his own cousin. The situation of Mordecai is difficult and bleak. He was exiled from his homeland. He had no access to anything that was familiar to him. He was living in the Medo-Persian Empire. And yet he was functioning as a responsible person. And he had a cousin who needed help. And he took her in and raised her as his own daughter. He did what needed done. And I know in this congregation of people, many of you, your life is not easy, but you're doing what needs done. And when you get up tomorrow, you're not going to say, gee, what do I want to do today? You know what you're going to do today, and it's got to be done. And you set your hand to do it. Mordecai was such a person, responsibility for his needy cousin in the land of exile. In chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, Esther did not make known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. She has become recognized by Xerxes, the king of the um, Medo-Persian Empire, and he, she has been chosen to be his bride to replace um, his former insubordinate wife, Vashti. And she has been exalted from an orphan to a queen. And Mordecai's response, every day Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. He was outside, 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 walking back and forth, content with being outside. In 17 and 20 of chapter 2, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. Then the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all her princes and his, his servants. And he also made a holiday for the provinces and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. When the virgins were gathered together the second time, Look where Mordecai is. Then Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate outside. The party was inside. Mordecai was outside. I believe he was praying. Someone has said that the book of Esther has no reference to God, just prayer. I believe that God is the very center of everything that's going on in that book as Mordecai was a man of God continually praying outside, outside, outside outside in chapter 2 again verses 21 and 23 we see him outside and verse 21 tells us in those days while mordecai was sitting at the king's gate big Than and teresh two of the king's officials from those who guarded the door became angry and sought to lay hands on king ahasuerus But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. He's outside. And outside he hears the threat of the king and makes it known, a responsible citizen, an individual who cares for his culture and his society, even though it's not his culture and his society. And he saved the king's life. He did not align himself with conspirators or insurrectionists. He did not allow himself to become embittered by the things that had happened to him, his situation in life, the difficulties that he faced. We shouldn't either. Responsible citizens. We may be outside, but we can have a positive effect even from outside. Mordecai was not anti-government. We get emails all the time from people who just say the rudest things, and it accomplishes no good. We need to be praying people, seeking to be a positive influence from the outside, in 1 through 5, he's standing outside and he's honoring God. After these things, King Osiris promounted Haman, the son of Hammedatha the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him and all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage outside. He is not going to be politically correct. He is not going to change his faith in God to to conform to the patterns of the world. He refused to bow down to Haman and to worship man. He was outside honoring God. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, he's outside condemned by the world as Haman comes to power and he's insulted by the fact that Mordecai would not bow to him. And so, he has a plot to destroy all of the Jews. Mordecai is outside praying and trusting in God. And so it goes. I'm not going to go through all of these things, but Mordecai functions outside and has a profound impact on the Medo-Persian Empire to the extent that he ultimately is exalted to second only to Xerxes. And so we need to learn how to function outside and to embrace that and to be content in that and to function there, not just stand outside and, gee, I wish I could get in, or, oh, poor me, I'm never accepted at any parties or anything, you know, and not getting a hangdog attitude about things, but standing outside and functioning with Jesus Christ where he stood and accomplished the salvation of all mankind. And you and I and him can transform this world if we will if we will come out to him. The point is that when we're outside of this world, we are inside with God. And once again, we can't have it both ways. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, the writer addresses this and I want to just look at it with you. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. He points out that when we're outside, we are inside with God. Hebrews 4, 14. Since therefore we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. We're outside of the tabernacle that was cast and the inside of this world, But we stand inside the true tabernacle in the presence of God. Which place do you think has greatest influence in this world? As we can come before into the living room of God himself and sit down and converse with him. And lay before him all of our cares. We can cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. We can enter in inside with him coming out to Jesus. And calling upon him we have an altar the writer of ASAP as he wrote Psalm 73 goes through all of the injustice in the world and he's struggling with it and being vexed and he almost lost his faith because he's so discouraged seeing wicked people prospering and being healthy and getting everything their way and having all their want, they want. And then in Psalm 73, 16 and 17, he says, When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. <clears throat> then I perceived their end. He saw things as they really are. And as long as he was standing inside and trying to figure things out, he couldn't get it. But when he came outside and he went into the sanctuary of God and he looked and he could see things as they really are. We need to cast aside guile and malice and enter in to the grace, the throne room of God and abide in his presence outside, standing outside. Verses 15 and 16 are very short but very profound. They give us a map of what we are to do now outside, standing outside. Verse 15 of Hebrews <clears throat> 13, he says, through him then let us continually up, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Two things. Worship and thanksgiving. Not discouragement and criticism and bickering and complaining. Not becoming a victim and sorry for myself. But he says, through him then let us continually... How often is that? All the time. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. My life is to be a continual orchestra of praise and worship. Even in the darkest moments, as this one song pointed out this evening. And thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thankful that we have a destiny a city that's not of this world this world could not contain it this world could not measure its worth this world and in our present form we could not realize the fullness of it worship and thanksgiving that vertical surface of our lives in worship of god And then verse 16, our Christian fellowship, that horizontal service which blesses and pleases God, our love and care for one another. He says in verse 16, and do not neglect (coughs) doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Do not neglect doing good to one another and being a blessing to one another and doing good in this world. To focus not on being blessed, but to focus on being a blessing. Not neglecting to do good. Sharing. Now, if you're going to share, you have to have someone to share with. It's all focused on others. It's not about me getting as much as I can for myself and looking at people saying, what's in it for me? but looking at people from the perspective is what do they need that I can provide in their life? And what can I say to be an encouragement to them and to lift them up? That horizontal relationship with others. It says, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. As we share provisions, as we share responsibilities, our gifts and talents in the Christian fellowship, making our unique contribution with and for others, as we share burdens through prayer and intercession, as we're going to be doing this evening, as we lift up the needs of others as our own, as we share joy, the hope, through worship and thanksgiving. I just want to read these verses again. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. So let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city. But we're seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then, let us continually continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Our Father, we desire that our very life be a sacrifice unto you for others. Please forgive us, Father, for the times that instead of continual praise and thanksgiving, we break into complaining and self-pity. Father, have mercy. We pray that you would be blessed through our lives. Life is not just about us being blessed, but Father, you have been so good to us, and Lord Jesus, your marvelous sacrifice outside the city deserves our continual praise and thanksgiving no matter what might be going on in this world or in our own personal lives and lord jesus we thank you make us a blessing to others an encouragement and father our greatest sorrow is to think that in some way we have discouraged or hurt or wounded a brother we pray that you would make us instruments of your grace We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.